Welcome to this podcast on sustainability. I'm Brad White. I'm joined by a panel of experts, and we're going to talk through sustainability in food systems, and we're going to use beef as a case study. I know sustainability is a word that a lot of us have used in different contexts. We understand it's important, but understanding what it really is and the implications to your operation and your customers are what we're going to talk about through this series of podcasts. And we, I'm lucky to have a group with me that I've worked with a lot because they have expertise in different areas. And we're going to address those issues because sustainability doesn't require a single discipline or a single knowledge base. It requires a broad approach as we discuss the trade-offs and how to kind of reach that equilibrium as we're thinking about sustainability. So I hope you'll join us as we talk through some of these topics, including defining sustainability, greenhouse gases, the economic impact, we'll talk labeling, we'll talk animal welfare, and what that means on the farm and to you. Before we get into that, I want to talk through with some of our experts and have them have a chance to introduce themselves. And Dr. Pindell, I'd like you to go first. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Dustin Pindell. I am a faculty member here at Kansas State University in the Department of Agricultural Economics. I've been here at Kansas State for about five years on faculty, uh, and my role, my current role here at the university includes not only research and teaching, but also outreach and extension. Dr. Larson. Hello, my name is Bob Larson, and I'm a veterinarian. I do teaching and research, working with veterinary students and veterinary researchers uh, here at Kansas State University. And Dr. Lancaster. Hello, I am a beef cattle nutritionist working here in the College of Veterinary Medicine at Kansas State University, and I teach some nutrition classes and do research on developing sustainable beef production systems. And I'm Brad White. I'm a veterinarian here at Kansas State as well, and you notice what all of us have in common, we're all working at the university. Our job at the university is to help both create new information and disseminate the information that we have. Our job here, the next few days and weeks, is to work through how can we talk through some of the issues in sustainability to really try to enhance your understanding as a part of this discussion. So we're, we're looking forward to some of the discussion and some of the back and forth. And I'm going to start out, and I'm going to ask you guys too, but I'm going to give you a definition of sustainability. Because it's a, it's a word that has multiple definitions, but I want to say sustainability is an equilibrium or a balance between the social factors, environmental, and economic impacts of any decision. Because we have to take into account all three of those pillars, and it's not a maximization problem. I'm not trying to maximize or minimize any one of those because it impacts the other three. But I wanna ask you guys, what does that mean to you? Well, one of the things that, to think about, when, when I think about the word sustainability, it, it's really about longevity. Um, and so I guess I, I, I'm fortunate, I think I'm fortunate in that, you know, my grandparents, my parents, uh, a lot of my relatives and friends are involved in agriculture, um, and many of them are involved in beef production. And I would love to see some of that heritage that my grandparents had, 
uh, in the operations that they had, the land that they settled on and developed. I would like that land to be as healthier, healthier for the next generation and generations down the line. Um, I'm involved in education, so I want to help young people that are interested in entering agriculture, that they have a long and vibrant career uh, providing food in a way that, uh, yeah, enhances the, the communities where they live. But really, sustainability is how you get there, right? So longevity is the goal. How do you get to longevity? You have to have sustainability. What, what does that mean to you, Philip? Brad, if I had to design it, it it's, it's a system or a, a method of production that is viable over the long term. If we, if we do things that are going to hurt our viability as far as marketing a food product or producing that food product or producing a living from that system, then we're not going to be viable over the long term. And so I think that's why I would, that's how I would define it. Okay. Dustin? Uh, yeah, I'm going to use a lot of the same terms that both Bob and Philip. Uh, it's thinking about sustainability in the, in the beef industry. You think for me, it's, you're focusing on meeting the needs of the consumers, so consumers of beef products uh, here today in the present without, uh, without impacting the ability of the future generations, maybe future generation of producers. And so that would be my, I guess, thoughts on what sustainability is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... I like it because it's a it's a complex issue that doesn't require a simple solution. And and we think about sustainability, if we think about it from a food service perspective, everybody wants their product to be sustainable and economical and have a minimal environmental impact. We're going to talk through some of the issues that affect that as we talk through these next few podcasts. But I want to ask you guys why are you doing this? Why are you doing this series of podcasts? Why are you interested in sharing more information on sustainability? Well, Brad, I think because I want to educate people on all the, the, those three different aspects and help them understand that it's not as simple as picking one aspect to focus on, that we have to work to find a balance between all three. And <clears throat> there are many trade-offs between those three aspects that we have to choose from. Absolutely. Understanding those, understanding those trade-offs is, is really critical. Dustin? Yeah, I'm going to say there's two reasons for me personally. One of them is selfish. Uh, I enjoy learning. I enjoy why things work, how things work. And so part of it is just me trying to understand what sustainability is and how, how we can make it work, uh, work in the beef industry. But then also in the beef industry specifically with sustainability, I feel like we're, you know, the producers have been doing this. They've been doing this for generations. And so I, I, I want to just get that out there that, hey, this isn't anything new. They've been doing this for, for, for forever. And so I just want to try to point that out and then use, you know, in my case, data, economic data to, to help support that. I'm with you. I'm with you on the learning because I'm a veterinarian, you're an economist, so I like to make economic statements, and Dustin corrects me, and he likes to make animal health statements, and then we talk about which one 
which one of us was closer. Bob, what about you? Why are you doing this? Well, one of the reasons is because um, I am interested in, in research and, and new knowledge. And, uh, and as you mentioned, the, the concept of sustainability is pretty complex. And so it really does stretch me to, you know, first of all, work with a, a team of people because, again, sustainability uh, comes at, you know, an environmental aspect, a social aspect, an economic aspect, an animal aspect. And so no one person is really going to have all that expertise. So I get to work on teams of people and we get to ask some complex questions about how to, because as you use the term also trade-offs. So we're looking for optimization. Um, and oftentimes that is that is challenging to really figure out how to optimize um, each of these segments so that the whole system uh, is the most sustainable. So I, I really like this topic uh, from a from a research standpoint and trying to really build some new knowledge that's going to be useful for future generations. Absolutely. And I like what you're saying. Uh, sustainability is a team sport. That's why we're playing as a team. That's why we're going to have our discussions here. Um, but also in, in team sports, you can get a technical foul. So like when I talk about economics, sometimes Dustin tees me up. But, Throws you up a tee, yeah. Yeah, we're, but we're going to move forward because we are going to address some big issues. And we're not going to uh, – we want to talk through the science, but this is not going to be a bunch of numbers. We're going to talk through the issues and talk through what are some of the concepts that drive the decisions. And we want to leave you with action steps or action points where they're available. And we're going to start out. Our first topic is a big one. And, and cattle's contribution to greenhouse gas emission. This is something we see frequently. We see it in the news. We see it. We hear about uh, the overall contribution. And, and the first thing that I would highlight is there are lots of different numbers thrown out. Some of them are globally. Some of them are domestic U.S. numbers, and they're pretty different. And I don't want to dive into the specifics of those. You can find those numbers as they're available. But it's a rel livestock and ag in general is a relative small contributor to the greenhouse gas in the U.S., but I want to talk about why they're a contributor. And Philip, you're our nutritionist. Cattle are different than people because of the way their digestive tract is set up. What's the big difference? Yeah, Brad. So the, the big difference is the methods that are used to digest food or feed. So in people, we are considered a monogastric animal, and our body produces enzymes that digest the food in our stomach and small intestine. In contrast, a ruminant animal or cattle, they have a big fermentation vat. And in the microbes or, or bacteria in the rumen are the ones that are digesting the feed. There, it's actually fermentation, just like you're making beer, except that we don't get beer out of it um, <laughs> and so but during that process they produce gas those microbes when they're fermenting that they produce gas and and then part of that gas is a is methane um, that is produced and it, it's a natural part of the digestive process um, and so it's it's something that's there that we can't necessarily stop Okay, so if they're made to digest grass, Bob, 
why do we, we have to, a lot of times talk about feeding them things other than grass. Why mm-hmm. do we do that? Well, there's a couple of ways to look at that. One is, one is that the, one of the beauties of these ruminant animals, and cattle are definitely ruminants, but sheep, goats, um, some wildlife animals are, are ruminants also, is the vast number of feeds that they can consume. Um, so they can consume forages and grass, which simple stomached animals like humans and pigs cannot consume. Uh, but they're also able to consume um, grains, you know, corn, soybeans, those types of things, as well as some interesting things that we talk about from a sustainability standpoint is byproducts from other systems. So um, cattle that live near uh, fruit processing or vegetable processing uh, can consume what would go to the landfill um, after you've processed vegetables or fruit or something like that. So they are a great, um, ruminants are, are great at using a wide, wide variety of feedstuffs. Now, the reason we feed them grains, particularly sometimes, such as corn, is because compared to um, particularly grasses, grains can be quite concentrated in the number of calories they have. And the, the good, so a good and bad thing about grasses is, you know, um, other animals can't eat grass. So humans can't eat grass, pigs and chickens can't eat grass and get the nutrients from that. And ruminants such as cattle can. The, the negative of that is when I'm saying how well cattle do on grass, that's really that green growing lush grass. Cattle just do tremendously well on that. Cattle can survive and do moderately well in the, the so picture winter time when the grass is dead and brown and, and not that nice lush green growing grass. Um, they're, they're going to be able to um, kind of they're not able to to thrive with the same amount of growth and uh, that they can on green growing grass so a lot of times we will supplement cattle when they're eating dormant forages we will also have grain be a pretty high percentage of their diet when they're at a certain stage of their growth kind of similar to teenagers in humans when they're in a rapid growth phase a lot of times we'll provide um, corn because of the number of calories and the, the growth potential in that stage and age of animal really can benefit from those extra calories, that extra dense calories to really maximize uh, their growth. And so I guess I would answer it. Why do we feed cattle grain? It's, it's really because that, that amazing rumen stomach can handle such a wide variety of feedstuffs, and we can kind of optimize the type of feed, both for the stage of life cycle, you know, so is this an adult or a young growing animal, and also the time of year. Is this a time when there's uh, lush green grass, or is this a time of year when the, the grass is dormant and, and not nearly as nutrient dense? But it's about proportions, because you talk about feeding them. It's not that they eat only grain. In fact, most cattle diets, even in a grain-fed environment, the bulk of their diet is other sources of nutrients. It's not just the grain. There are other things in that diet. And I think that's an important consideration. And we're going to talk more about this. So we only touched, scratched the surface of greenhouse gas. We're going to come back to that more, and we'll talk more about that in each episode But I want to shift gears a little bit because I wanted to hit a couple of things we get the most questions on in this podcast. And Dustin, I'm going to turn to you. One thing we get questions on is greenhouse gas. Another we get question on is where do the family farms 
fit into the equation and maybe tell us a little bit about how that fits into the beef industry. Absolutely. So I'm going to use the USDA ERS economic research service. Uh, I'm going to use some reports that, that uh, came out by them. And actually this just report, this most updated report just came out. And so first we'll define what a family farm is. And that's just where a majority of the business is owned by a principal operator. And so that's somebody who's going to make those day-to-day decisions for the farm. And so that's what a family farm is. Uh, you know, we've also heard family farms, small farms. They break that down even further. So a small farm is a farm that makes uh, less than 350000 uh, I think it's gross cash farm income. So anything less than 350000 would be considered a small family farm. And that's comprised of retirement farms, off-farm occupation farm. Uh, and then you've got farming operations that either have low sales or moderate sales. And of course, you've got your mid-sized family farms and your large-scale family farms. But then there's also this category of non-family farms. And so that's kind of the, the, the family farm. Just to throw out a couple of statistics, uh, 98% of all farms in the U.S. would be considered a family farm. Uh, almost almost 90%, just a little less, like 88% of the production of ag, not just beef, but all production, would come from uh, family farms. Now, if we want to think specifically the beef industry, almost 70% of the beef will come from either a small farm or the large farms. We're primarily... Let me think, and I I may interrupt you just a second, Dustin, because there's... In cow-calf operations, and we didn't outline the beef industry yet, but that's where the from cow-calf to the feed yards we touched on, and there's other stages of the industry, but there's 750,000-plus producers, and you're saying most of those are family farms? In general, all ag, 98%, which would incorporate that, are going to be yeah, family farms. Cow-calf operations are generally your smaller operations. So your small farms would be the cow-calf operations, typically. Uh, And so, yes, it it is the cow-calf, the beef industry. Those are your family farms. And generally, they're going to be your smaller ones. So when when beef sells to the consumer, is there a percentage of that that goes back to those cow-calf farms? Yep, there is. And so there is, there's a lot of different statistics out there. Uh, one that just a simple one is called the farmer's share. So what percent of the U.S. or what percent of the consumer dollar goes back to the producer or the farmer? Uh, on average, for all products across all food products, it's about 14 to 15 percent or 14, 15 cents per every dollar. Beef industry, it's a little higher because there's maybe not quite as much processing as there would be. For, for wheat or flour. Uh, and so it's about, you know, I think last year was about 42 to 43 cents on for every dollar spent. And again, it's, it's, it's every cut's going to be a little different. But yeah, it, it's almost 50, 50% goes back to the farmer. Excellent. And I think that is a, a starting point for our discussion. We're going to hit more on family farms. Each of these episodes that we do using beef as a case example, 
we're going to keep them just like this. Lots of discussion, relatively short. We hope that you join us for upcoming episodes, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you.